The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. Dennis Johnson. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Please join your hearts with me as I lead us in prayer. Father, Our reflection on your mercy, your sovereign grace, which drew us to the feast, moves us, as our brother Isaac Watts reminds us, moves us to long that all for whom you've spread the feast might come from every tribe and nation under heaven. We do, in our best moments, long to see your churches full. If we're ever complacent with less than that, Father, forgive us. Lift our eyes, lift our sights to see your love for the peoples of the world and the fact that you've written in the Lamb's Book of Life names from all the peoples of the world and that you delight to have an abundance of people benefit from the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. So, Father, challenge us and encourage us from your word in these moments that we spend reflecting on it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Dr. Kim, as Dean of Students, has invited me to give a series of six meditations on Tuesdays. On Thursdays, other faculty members will be speaking on another subject. But I thought it might be helpful for us to take a look six times at seven verses in Acts 6. That sort of fits. Six, seven, six. Uh, So turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Um, I mentioned to preaching classes last week, this is not exactly a model for preaching. Uh, It's more a series of meditations, uh, looking at the ways that themes intersect in this particular event in the life of the early church in Jerusalem. So hear God's word. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God bless our understanding of the word. Let's reflect on it for a few minutes here. Um, As I said, six themes, all strands that flow into this text from other parts of Scripture and through this text into other parts of Scripture— Uh, And the first theme we're going to focus on today is multiplication. 
I've got them all listed here, but I'll leave you in suspense for the other five. So multiplication, multiplication. Um, Our Lord loves lots, lots of people. He thrives on crowds of his creatures. He exults in multiplication. Uh, And this theme that appears actually several times in our text although the ESV disguises it in several different English versions, different ways that it renders it. Uh, The theme appears in verse 1 and verse 7, and then in a noun form a couple times elsewhere. Uh, The verb is, Greek scholars, plethuno, and it's in verse 1. Now, when the disciples were multiplying in number, and again in verse 7, A number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And between those two, a noun cognate of plethuno, plethos, appears twice. Multitude, the older versions used to render it. Our newer versions feel the need to do something else because multitude feels old, I guess. But uh, certainly in verses 2 and 5, when we read the full number and the whole gathering, that's plethos, that's a multitude, the crowd, the crowd. Later on in Acts, we find the verb used twice more in 9.31 and 12.24 to describe the multiplication of the word of God. God multiplies. He's a multitude-loving God. That goes all the way back to Genesis 1. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew, in the Septuagint, this is the term that appears when God commands fish and birds and human beings to multiply and fill the earth. It appears in Genesis 22 when God promises Abraham that his offspring will multiply like the stars on the sky and the sand on the seashore. It appears in Exodus when Abraham's offspring are enslaved in Egypt, but still they multiply to the point where the king of Egypt gets very, very nervous. And when they entered the promised land, Moses told them from the far side of the Jordan, when you enter, if you're faithful to the Lord, He will multiply you. And of course, in the Gospels, we find multitudes all around Jesus, crowding around him, and he loves it. Not because his ego is so so insecure that he needs uh, a whole throng of groupies, but because he loves to pour out mercy and grace on hurting, helpless people. He's even willing to have them interrupt his R&R and feed them and care for them and teach them. Uh, He loves to be among multitudes. And so the Holy Spirit, speaking through the human author Luke, has been chronicling for us that God's been keeping count of multitudes. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 come to faith in Christ and are added to the church. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 after Peter and John were arrested, having proclaimed that Jesus' name gave strong ankles to a lame man, that Jesus was the one who deserved the victory, many of those who heard the word believed in the number of the men, include then beyond that women and children, came to about 5,000. Chapter 5, 13 and 14, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women, God loves the crowd. Jesus had said that in his parable of the sower, right? The seed goes out, falls on all kinds of 
soil that's resistant, but it also falls into good soil and yields a great harvest, 30, 60, 100 times as much. Now, if I came to Westminster Seminary, California, as a new student and heard all this talk about numbers, I would think, am I in the wrong place? Is this one of those schools that got captivated by the late 20th century church growth movement, always counting noses, always into marketing? I was suspicious of that. I was a young pastor in the 70s uh, when uh, Donald McGavern and C. Peter Wagner and others were talking about, here are the things you can do to grow your church. One thing you can do is keep it very homogenized. People that all look alike and talk alike and have the same skin color, because that's the way it grows. We won't call it segregation. We'll call it the homogeneous unit principle. But that's effective. So you don't have to invite people to cross any kinds of cultural boundaries or walls. So I was suspicious when uh, a father in the faith, a pastor uh, near my church, the church I was pastoring up in L.A., uh, who was pastoring a Reformed Presbyterian church in North America, He's responsible for your having the book of Psalms for singing underneath those pews as well. Uh, Covenanter, they sing only Psalms and without musical accompaniment in their worship service. When Jim said, you need to go with me to a church growth seminar. And I said, oh, surely not. No, I didn't. I said, Jim, if you say so. But in my mind, I was saying, this is going to be a lot of slick techniques. And there was plenty of that. Um, But there was also... Well, there was also some sound teaching from Scripture from a PCA teaching elder who taught at, of all places, Fuller Seminary. But there was also a word of testimony from a pastor near the church I was pastoring in East L.A. who said, the key to church growth, and I was ready to take notes on that, pastors who stay a really long time. It didn't sound so gimmicky. Maybe, I thought, maybe my overreaction against the fixation of the church growth movement on numbers and growth. Maybe it was an overreaction, and I began to look more at the Bible. Yeah, there's a lot of wrong ways to try to grow a church. The Apostle Paul warns against people who have itching ears and want pastors and preachers who will scratch those ears uh, and, uh, and do exactly what, uh, say exactly what they want to hear. But but God wants to have his church grow. And the fact that some people do it for the wrong reasons or with the wrong methods shouldn't let us lose that theme in Scripture. In Luke's first volume, he records a parable that's similar to one recorded by Matthew. Matthew, we call it the parable of the talents. In Luke's version in chapter 19, it's called the parable, well, older version of the pounds. Now we call it the minus, which is kind of an English transliteration of a Greek term representing a teeny tiny amount of money. A talent was a big amount of money in the ancient world. Mina was a fraction, a tiny fraction of that. So it's not exactly the same story, although much of it is the same plot line. But in the parable of the minus, ten servants each get the same amount, one mina, Whereas in talents, you remember, they get different amounts. And three are still focused on in Luke. Uh, And similarly, the first two do something with the mina. And the third one, playing it safe, afraid of being rebuked for having lost the master's wealth, 
has tucked it away safely and returns it, he's been, and I suppose in his own mind, he's been faithful. The master doesn't think so. He says, if you've not made my treasure fruitful, you have not been faithful. You are a wicked, lazy servant. Haven't read this in any commentary, so don't go and preach it this way, but we're among friends here. I wonder whether Jesus in the parable of the minus is especially focusing on that treasure of the gospel. Not necessarily the individual abilities that may differ among us, but, but that one treasure that looks so tiny and looks so vulnerable, uh, like seed cast in the ground, uh, and that we might be tempted to say we're going to keep it safe, we're not going to risk it, we're going to be faithful. And Jesus says to be faithful, you need to get out there and work with it and let it bear its own fruit. Interestingly, in the talents, Jesus has the faithful servants say, you entrusted five to me and now I've, I've earned five more. In the parable of the minas, the faithful servants say, Lord, your mina made five more. Your mina produced the fruit. There's something about that. Faithfulness and fruitfulness go together. Apparent fruitfulness, numerical growth, that's not rooted in biblical faithfulness is going to wither and fade. But on the other hand, to congratulate ourselves on staying doctrinally faithful while being indifferent to seeing the gospel bear fruit in others' lives, to think our calling is only to preserve and hand it back to the master unrisked, that's unfaithful as well as being unfruitful, and it deserves the master's rebuke. Now, multiplication poses its own problems. We're going to see that in our other meditations here. It, it complicates things. And, and I have to confess, sometimes uh, what makes me nervous about churches that are full of crowds is that it's much harder because things are complicated when different kinds of people come together. That's all true. Um, but the problem posed by multiplication uh, is also a problem that we need to embrace. And here it's going to be, as we'll see, it's going to demand a costly response from the apostles. They're going to have to give up some control and delegate some authority to others. They're going to have to trust the Lord enough to gift other leaders with abilities to care for his church as well. Despite the problems, our Lord loves a crowd. And we need to, too. We pray. We long to see your churches full. Just in the last couple days, quick illustrations to, to close. Uh, we've heard from one of our Westminster, California alums uh, who is serving in a very prosperous but spiritually resistant Asian country. And uh, he knew about the spiritual resistance in the country. Uh, but as his calling for decades has been to train church planters, to nurture them, what disheartens him most is that the church in that country seems to have very few in the younger generation who have a heart 
to see the gospel planted in communities where Jesus' name is not heard. We need to have a heart for the harvest. On the other hand, just this morning, I hadn't even put that in my notes, an email from uh, other uh, a couple uh, who are Westminster, California alumni, he from the MDiv, she from the MA, they got married, met here, uh, serving in Berlin, and uh, their email is all about numbers. 60, 12, 5, 3, 1. Numbers. 60, as David said, at the end of summers in Berlin, churches tend to absolutely close down. But the congregation they're serving in has maintained attendance in the 60s. Very encouraging. 12, one of their German sisters has been inviting friends uh, inviting, in fact, at a recent evangelistic Bible study, they had 12 new people coming. Nine Afghan refugee believers and three Muslim believers. Three still from Muslim, in a Muslim background. Um, hungry to know what the gospel is about. 60, 12. Five, five youth in their congregation. At, uh, have attended a conference to be equipped to share the gospel uh, in England. Three, three unbelievers in a new Bible study that has arisen out of a running club that David has initiated. And one, one woman from Ukraine has come to faith over this summer. And then they say, these are not numbers, these are people. These are people. The Holy Spirit, speaking through Luke, records with delight the number of disciples were multiplying. Large groups, small groups, multiplying. And God is pleased to have his church multiply. Not without problems. But Jesus, the sower, is spreading his seed and into good soil. He's bearing good work. So I hope you will enjoy with me our savoring these few verses and the the intersection of these ideas and uh, themes that God has put together in his word and and that our hearts will be set on fire to see the gospel multiplied in people's lives. Let's pray. Father, teach us, speak to us through your word, change us by your word, make even truer in the depths of our hearts, what we sang to you at the beginning, that we long to see your churches full, that we plead with you to pity the nations and constrain the world to come to the feet of King Jesus. We know you do that through the gospel of your grace, extended through the testimony of your people and applied with sovereign power by your Holy Spirit. Teach us and transform us, Father, and fix our hearts and eyes on Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.